don't you hate it when you only get half the story? Don't you hate it when you're like, I know there's something else there, but I, I, I'm not getting the whole thing. It's like opening up a, a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, and then once you open it, you realize it's already half empty. You've been there. Well, I'm afraid that many of us, when it comes to the message of Easter, uh, tear open the Easter bag, and it's, and it's half empty. Now, you got to realize what's in that bag is very substantial, and it's very necessary. It's so good, and, and when you open that bag of Dorito chips, you, you keep eating. I mean, you kind of like, ah, man, but you keep eating because you know what's in there is really, really good. And we understand that one of the most substantial, important truths of the Easter message is this, that through Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Right? That is the greatest truth in the history of the universe, that there was a people separated from a holy God and that God had come to restore the relationship. That is what the definition of reconcile is. It is to restore into right relationship. You know, when you have a broken relationship in the family, in your marriage, with your kids, your greatest hope is reconciliation, right? That that relationship can be brought back to its original order. Well, that is the substantial message of the Christian faith. That is the message of Easter, of, of Christ being lifted up on the cross, right? And his blood being poured out on behalf of you and I. Now, what's this whole blood situation about? Can it not have been a better way? Can I not have got a ticket? Right? Can I not have just gone to the DMV? That would have done it, right? Uh, but we understand, according to Scripture, according to Hebrews 9.22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so when you wonder why the blood of Christ on the cross, we have to understand God's judicial system. Right? That is, in God's judicial system, in Penal Code 1.1, God says in order for there to be a restitution of sin, there has to be uh, blood. Right? Now, this is what has to happen. And the good news for the Christian faith is blood has been provided, the sacrifice has been provided in Christ. It was the, it was the lambs in the Old Testament, it was the sacrifice of the lambs and goats and turtle doves, but now it's in Christ. And we have the blood sacrifice of Christ who then gives us the reconciliation of Christ. Now, I think we're all on the same page. We all believe that to be the truth about Easter. But what if I told you there's more? I got your attention, didn't it? Right? More to the, to, the, to the gospel, to Christ? Well, there's, there's much more, and the much more is what's going on right now. You see, every Easter, you may be used to getting into one of the Gospels and just talking about, well, this is Christ. Look, he's not there. Look, the disciples went and he wasn't there. The, the gals went and they rushed back to all the disciples. Well, that is what happened, right? He's no longer there. He's risen. The angel comes. Who are you looking for? Christ isn't here. He has risen indeed. And he is going to be exalted to the right hand of the Father. Uh, but there's something that Jesus says when he sees the disciples at the end of Matthew. There's something really, really, really important that fills up this bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. Okay? There's something that fills up the, the meaning of the gospel when Jesus appears to the disciples at the end of Matthew and he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, listen, I am resurrected. No one has conquered death. No one has conquered sin, but I alone. And the Father in his good pleasure and his good will has given me all things. 
And he could have said anything he wanted after that. Jesus could have said, now you guys just wait and chill until I get back, and then I'll come get you, and we can go party at my father's home. But he didn't say that. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now here's what I want you to do. I need you to go, therefore, into all nations, and I need you to go make disciples. I need you to go make disciples of all nations, and I need you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I need you to teach them all the things that I have commanded you to do. And lo, and behold, I am with you until I come get you and bring you with me to my Father's house. You see, so much the, the, half God, the half Easter message we get is that Christ has come and he's paid for your sins, and that is true. But Christ didn't just save us from our sins to keep us sitting here. Christ saved us from our sins to purpose us for our good and for his glory. And this morning, as you open up to 2 Corinthians 5 in your Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you have your phone, do that. If you, if you want a Bible and you don't have one, we have some there in the back just for you. But we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 to see the other half of the Easter message. The other half of the message of reconciliation. Because many of us think our relationship with God looks like this, right? We believe that God desires to save people, and amen, he does. It's not God's will that any should perish, right? But many of us don't believe that God has a real plan to repurpose our lives here and now. And he truly does. It is God's desire not to just save people, not to just reconcile them, but to repurpose them. We're going to be glorified one day in eternity, but God is not done with you here, and God is not done with you now. And so Easter 2022, what we're going to read and what we're going to learn is that God has a plan for you the moment that you walk out this door to include you in what we call God's redemptive plan for history. Many of us wonder, what is God's will? What does God want us to do? What is his desire for my life? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning through God's word what God's desire and will for your life is each and every one of you in this room. Let's look at it. Let's start in verse 17. It says there that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. So we need to understand why was Christ necessary? Why was it necessary that Christ would come and have to die on the cross? That is a question, isn't it? You share the gospel with people and they say, well, why did he have to do that? Well, that's a very good question. And we have to have a really good answer. And the Bible indeed gives us the perfect answer for the question. Well, there's this problem, and it is what we call the, the old, right? The old has passed away. There is something fundamentally flawed about the old. Okay? This is why we need, a, we need a, a reconciliation. We need a substitution because there's something wrong with the old way. There's something wrong with the old that is not going to make it to God. As a matter of fact, uh, in Colossians 1.21, you can jot that down in your notes. If you're a note taker, we love you here. We want you to take notes. And if you're not a note taker, we love you too. We'll just train you how to start taking some notes. All right, Colossians 1.21, here's the, here's the problem in a nutshell. You, each one of us, all of us, right, were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. So all of us, we understand that the problem is that we're all alienated from God, right? Our minds are hostile and contrary to God, and finally, it shows itself in the fruit of evil deeds, right? We all see that in our own lives. I, you know, there's these things I want to do. There's these good things that I try to do and want to do, but I find myself not doing the things that God wants me to do. Paul even says that in Romans, doesn't he? And we need to understand that the fundamental problem in a nutshell is that what is old in me, what is going to perish and pass away, is alienated from God, hostile to God, and evil toward God, and there has to be some kind of fix for me. 
There has to be something that fixes that thing that is problematic with me because I know that those things cannot be with God. That's a problem in a nutshell, but why don't we open that problem a little bit more, and you can jot down this scripture, 2 Peter 3, 7 through 13. If you're a quick flipper in your Bible, you can meet me there. 2 Peter 3, 7 through 13. And it says there, it says that the same God, right, who created the universe, this God who spoke the world into creation in Genesis 1, the heavens and the earth, all the things ever that have existed came out of the word of God. Now, it says here that same word, with that same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. You see, there's a, there's a problem, isn't it? The problem is, if I keep living in this life and I keep living in this world as though nothing is wrong, I miss the biblical truth that with that same word that God created the universe, he is now saying that that universe, uh, it exists right now and it's stored up for fire. As a matter of fact, it's being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You see, the problem fundamentally for us is that we're alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, but that is just sums up all of creation, right? All of creation, once we fell, we see that recorded in Genesis 3. All creation since then has rebelled and been alienated from God. And God has to reconcile all these things, right? We, we want a just God, don't we? We want God to exact perfect justice, don't we? We want a court system that exacts perfect justice, don't we? In our society today, we want nothing more than all the evil to be paid for. Well, that's exactly what God desires because he's a perfect God and he's a just God. He can't let sin go. He, can't, he cannot acquiesce in punishment and what we call justice. Just like you wouldn't want a judge in court to acquiesce in his justice to a murderer or a thief, right? But when it comes to God, we're hoping that he's going to be an unjust judge and not truly convict everybody, just the really, really bad ones. But the truth of the matter is we have a perfect, just, and holy God who's going to give perfect justice to all the world. And because we have that kind of God, we understand this, that it makes sense that the world is stored up for fire. We understand that it's being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, but here's some good news, right? With that same outstretched hand that God is using to to put justice on the world, he's also doing something else. We need to not overlook, in verse 8, this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And here's what we know for sure as Christians, as we wait for the coming of the Lord, uh, he's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, right? God isn't slow to come reconcile and redeem the whole world. God isn't slow to exact justice on all the wrong things in the world. God's waiting for something. God is waiting for something really, really important, and it's this. He's waiting for you. It says right here that he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, You wonder why the world's getting so bad and God's not coming back yet because he's waiting for people. He's waiting for people to turn away from their sins and to trust in him. He's being patient with this wicked world so that he could save some of his people, that people could see the error of their ways, that they're alienated and hostile, and they would turn to God because he doesn't wish that any should perish, but he's a perfect and he's a just judge. And there has to be a payment for sin. Penal Code 1-1, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But here's the, here's the truth in verse 10. But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. We're not going to know when. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. That's the truth. The old creation is going to pass away. 
The heavenly bodies will be turned, burned up and dissolved. In the earth and the works that are done in them, they're going to be exposed. All those things are going to be exposed. So God will do exacting justice on all things because they'll all be in plain sight. Now, verse 11, since all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That is, for you who are in Christ in here, those of you who have trusted in Christ, you've turned from your sins, you've trusted in Christ, you ask, well, why do I got to live for the Lord? Well, because all the other things are going to be exposed. And we got to understand that, of course, in our lives as Christians, we ought to be holy and godly because we know that God's coming back to redeem everything. Now, verse 12 and waiting for the hastening of the coming of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. But we wait for a promise. This is really important for you. You're waiting for a promise for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, our promise that God has given to all those who have been reconciled to God is He's saying, you are a new creation, and I am making a new creation and new heavens and a new earth, and you're going to inherit that. This is going to pass away. This is going to burn up. This is going to dissipate. This won't be here anymore. But what I'm taking you to is so much better. But here's why I'm being patient. Because I don't just want you to go. I want other people to go with you. I don't want to just take you. I want to take so many people. And so I'm being patient with you. But the problem of the matter is, is I can't take old creation into the new creation. Only the new creation can go into the new creation. And so our fundamental understanding of the gospel is we have to be a new creation. So we need a new creation. That means we need a Savior. We need somebody to come pay for our sins so we don't have to. Because if I have to pay for my own sins, I'm going to go away with old creation. But God has made a way because he's patient and he's gracious and he's, he's loving and steadfast and he's kind. God has made a way. And you see that in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. It says there in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, that is this, that, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And that's the reason we can say unapologetically that no one can come to the Father except for through Christ. That is, God has made a way into his presence, and that way was Christ, and it was perfect, and it lacks in nothing, and it's all powerful to restore all things unto God. And what we have to see through here is the way is Christ. That's why we celebrate Easter, because of Christ being our propitiation, being our substitute. But we need to know how. How did God make this substitution, and what grounds did this substitution happen? Well, look at verse 18. Verse 18 in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, it says this, all of this is from God. And I want to take a moment right there. All of this is from God. You should underline that in your, if you write in your Bible, and I hope you do, right, underline that. Because here's a problem that we see in our world today. Uh, God is an angry God, isn't he? That God of the Old Testament, terrible man, okay? A lot of bad things that God did, right? Uh, and we look at the New Testament and say, well, that God, he's, he's kind and, and loving. And that Jesus, man, mm, he's so good. Right? He is so great. But we need to understand something. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And Christ only came because God had sent him to come. And so what we need to understand, the reconciliation process came from God. The God who's just desired to see people brought near to him through his son. And so the truth of the matter, that all the salvations that happened for eternity were instituted by God. That God's desire was that people would be brought near to him. So he made a way. God made a way. And God made a way, and it's this way. That he reconciled. That means he restored into right relationship. Right? God restored into right relationship 
the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So here's this truth of being in the old creation, right? The old creation was alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but yet God sent Christ to reconcile people who would respond to the gracious gift of salvation. And he said, your hostility, your evil, right? Your alienation, I'm not going to count against you. I'm going to count that against Christ. I'm going to take him and I'm going to put him on the cross. And you got to know there's a payment. Blood has to be shed. It has to happen. But I'm going to put it on him. I'm going to put it on the cross. I'm going to make him pay for it. And I'm going to offer the gift to anyone who's going to receive it, the opportunity to be made right and to be restored with me, a holy, just, perfect, loving God. Now, this was a, a costly exchange, you do realize, the God of the universe had to step down from the throne room of heaven to live on this earth, to do it in a way you and I couldn't do it, to show us how it's done and to appease the justice system. That is, to show us how to do it and to be that thing that you and I could never be on our own. And so God came, veiled in humanity, in Christ, and came and made a costly exchange. That is, substituting our sin for his righteousness. That is, substituting my evil for his good. That is, substituting my alienation to his relationship with God the Father. As a matter of fact, that's what it says. Look at verse 21 if, real quick, if you don't mind. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. Here it is in plain sight. For our sake, it is for us, for our sake, for our benefit, for our good, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The news is that we are righteous in Him, and no righteousness of our own, no righteousness of your parents, of your grandparents. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Isn't that a good news? God only has children, and He wants all people to be His children, and God has made a way for you to be His child, because what He has done is He had laid down all the things that hindered you to get to God on the cross. And therefore, for all those who would respond to that, God has made a new creation. Remember, I pointed you to Colossians 1.21. Now I want you to write down Colossians 1.22, just the next verse. Just the very next verse, this is what it says. Right? The problem was alienation, hostility, evil. But here's the answer. Colossians 1.22. You have now been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That is... What was lacking in you was put on the flesh of Christ on the cross. That's why the pain was unbearable. That's why he was smitten, despised by men, turned away. God turned his face away from Christ on the cross. All those things were because of our sin, those things that kept us from God. But now, by his body, by his death, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. You see, you are evil, alienated, and hostile, and God exchanged our sin for his glory, and he gave us holiness and blamelessness and made us above reproach. That means no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You hear that this morning? That's the message. That's, that's half the message of Easter right there. And so what that means for you and me, what that means is all of this is dependent on each person, point number one on your outline if you're taking notes, Rightly responding to the message of reconciliation. That means you and I have to rightly respond to the message of reconciliation. Right? This is, it's a free gift, but it's a free gift that demands a response. Right? You can't do anything to receive it, but God demands a response to his offer of salvation. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it this way in Mark 1.15. 
in Mark 1.15, Jesus, as he comes onto the scene in his earthly ministry, this is one of the first thing that recorded of, of Jesus saying in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, he says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, Jesus, as he comes onto his scene, he says, here's the thesis statement of my earthly ministry. Here's what I believe is most important, and he's God, so whatever he believes is most important is most important to me. And the most important thing God said in his earthly ministry in Christ is he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. I'm here. And here's what I want everyone to do. I want you to turn away from your sins, and I want you to trust in me. I want you to repent, and I want you to believe in the good news of the gospel that Christ came to save sinners like me. That is the gospel, and that is the reason that we celebrate Easter. Now, there's many of you in here who say, I've done it, I've done this, I've done this. Okay, sure, great. But be sure you've done it, number one. right? The Scripture tells us many, many times that we need to make sure that we are checking ourselves. It says, make sure that you are sure that you're sure that you're sure. And it doesn't hurt to be sure that you're sure that you're sure, does it? But it hurts to think you're sure and not be so sure, and then you get in the presence of God and then you're not sure. Right? It's good now to be sure that you're sure that you're sure. As a matter of fact, Paul says it multiple times that we need to go and we need to examine ourselves. Examine yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith. Examine yourself to make sure that you are who you say you are. I'll give you a quick exercise to do this. You can write this down in your notes. Uh, if you believe you're saved in here, what I want you to do is I want you to write out your testimony. I want you to articulate your testimony. I mean, you've written research papers. You've written up a, you know, at least a, uh, your, your job description, uh, maybe a resume. Just if those things are important. This would be of utmost importance. So take some time. Write it out. And within your testimony, be sure that you can, like Jesus says, articulate a moment in your life where you repented and trusted in Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross. Not a time where you had earthly grief, but a time where you had godly grief that led to repentance and the fruit was salvation. Tell me that time. Write that down because it's going to do two things. It's going to confirm that you know that you know that you know. And it's going to be really good because other people are going to want to know how you know how you know how you know. And you can tell them, I know, I know, I know because I'll show you right here. My pastor on Easter told me to go do this and I did it and it helped me a lot understand either maybe confirmed my salvation or maybe I'm missing some stuff here and maybe I thought I was but... Now, I don't know that I know that I know. And I say that because what we got to do is you got to know. I mean, I'm married. I have a wife, Kayla. She's a wonderful wife. We're expecting our first child in November. All right, that's big stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. All right. Uh, and we're so excited. But there's something that I know that I know that I know. All right, I know that I'm married to my wife. I know that I'm married to my wife because I got a ring on my hand. I have a date, right, May 19th. 2019, May 1919, right before COVID. We were also pretty smart to do that. <laughs> but I know I'm married to her. I know I'm married to her because there's a date and time where I remember this is when I married my wife. As a matter of fact, we share a home together. We share a life together and a family together. And I don't ever question that I know that I know that I know that my wife is my wife. I know it because we live together. We share a life together. We're growing a family together. You know, I don't live, I gave up my singleness. That is, I turned away from my life of singleness, right? And, I, and I've turned to my wife, and we've embraced each other, and we're living our life together, right? And that's how I know that I know that I know that I'm in Christ, because I've turned away from my life living for myself, and I turn to Christ, and I embrace him. He embraces me. He indwells me with the, his spirit, and I live for him. And I know because I, I build a life with him. I build my home in him. My life is in him, and my will is his will. 
That's how I know. Just like I know I'm married to my wife, I know that I'm in Christ. And that's important. Because I can't say that I'm a Christian and still live in my old life. I can't say that I'm a new creation if I'm still living in the old creation that's going to be done away with. And so i got to know that I know that I know. i got to be over here, and i got to be in that relationship. And if I'm not in that relationship, like, you know, I can say I'm married to my wife, but if we never got married, if there was never a date, if there was never a time, I'm just fooling myself. She'd be the one that got away. Yeah, I'm married to my wife. No, she's not. She married some guy down there who was smart enough to ask her before you. right? And all I'm saying is let's not fool ourselves. Let's know. Let's recognize that there needs to be a time and a date and a place that you had reconciled that relationship with God, that you had made that decision to turn away from your sins and to trust in Him. Now, here's the rest of the story, if you're a Paul Harvey fan. The rest of the story is that when God reconciles people to Himself, He doesn't leave them to Himself, right? And this is where all of you, I want you to look up here, okay? When God reconciles people, He doesn't leave them to themselves. He does something to their life. He repurposes them for Himself and for their good, right? And this is what I say the other half of the Easter message. You've been reconciled, but God desires to repurpose you here. He desires to make you new and to enlist you in His delegation to share the message of reconciliation to the world, as a matter of fact, that's what it says in verse 18, the second half. Look at verse 18, the second half of it. It says this, that yes, he saved us, but he also did something else. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see that? We were alienated. We were enemies of God. He made us his friend, and he didn't leave us there and said, hey, I'm coming back. Don't worry. Don't just sit tight and cozy until I get back. He said, no, listen, I'm taking you to myself, and I'm giving you a responsibility. I'm giving you something, and this is your job. I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. You probably don't use that word ministry a lot in your daily life, do you? That's okay. That word in the Greek uh, is diakonia, right? Diakonia. Maybe if you grew up in like a, maybe a Baptist church like I did or, or a church with, you may understand the word deacons, right, which is the transliterated form of the Greek word diakonia. And all a deacon or a diakonia is is a servant, and so that word just means servant. And so in that context, we look at verse 18 and say, he's given us the service of reconciliation. He has enlisted you and me to serve him in this capacity, to reconcile the world to God. And it is a service, and it is a plan, because it is this particular plan, and it says it right there in verse 18, of reconciliation. God desires that you help restore people into right relationship with him. Isn't that the great thing? That God's not done with you when you get saved? That God says, there's something I want you to partner with me in? Koinonia, it's the Greek word. It means partnership and fellowship and participation. God's not done with you. He wants you to participate with him in reconciling the world to himself through the blood of Christ. And that's the good news, and that's why we gather, and that's why we plant churches, and that's why we go and we share the gospel, and it's okay if people give us dirty looks, because what we want to do is make sure people are made new in Christ. That's the good news, and that's what we're here to do. But what I want you to understand with that word reconciliation for those who are saved is God has a plan for you today. Right, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to leave here wondering what God's plan is for you. I don't want you to leave here wondering what God wants you to do in five months or what, God, what school God wants you to go to or who God wants you to marry. Well, the most fundamental thing that God wants you to do is partner with him in the ministry of reconciliation. 
As a matter of fact, Matthew 6 tells me, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What all things? You know, you're not going to get the nicest car, the nicest house. You're not, you may not get the, you know, the, the perfect this or that, but what you're going to get is the kingdom of God. And what you're going to get is all the things that you need to survive. And that's what it says above that, right? You need shelter, you need water, you need clothing. All those things that you work to have, God says, if you would focus on my will and not your own, I'm going to make sure you have all those things. And I'm going to make sure that you get you a spouse who, uh, who does love the Lord because you're around people who love the Lord. You see, when you find yourself in the middle of God's will, uh, you find that many of the things that you desire from God are gifts from God given to the church. And what I mean by that is just simply this, that God's desire is that you would serve him in this ministry. And it's the fundamental purpose that you exist on this side of salvation. On that side of salvation, you exist to turn from your sins and trust in Christ because Christ has come to reconcile you. On this side of salvation, God's desire is this, that you would participate in the ministry of reconciliation that Christ calls all Christians to. I want you to see that God has a plan uh, but God's plan doesn't end with you. I don't want you to see how big God's plan is. You want to see how big God's plan is? Let's see how big God's plan is. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, that he gave us this ministry of reconciliation, but that's, it means this, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Right? And here's, here's the big idea. God is, got, is, God is reconciling the world to himself. Like God's got a plan for the nations. God's got a plan for the people. God's got a plan for your aunt and your uncle and your brother and your sister and your mother and your father who don't know him. He's got a plan, and his desire is to reconcile them to himself. And he wants to enlist you in the ministry of reconciliation. You can ask yourself, why am I the only Christian in my family? Well, because God's got to start somewhere, and he started with you. And he wants you to go and, and be enlisted in his ambassadorship, his delegation to go share the gospel with your family, with the nations. We need to understand that's God's plan for the world. It's not just for you, and it's not just for me, and it's not just for people who call themselves churchgoers. It's for all people. And we got to go, and we got to be out there for all people sharing the gospel, making disciples, just like Jesus said. We understand that God has a plan I'll make it simple this way. We have, God has a plan. That means we have a job. As a matter of fact, verse 19 continues by saying he's reconciling the world to himself, and he's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You can write down in your notes that, that we have a job in God's economy. Right? In God's worldwide economy, salvation is the number one resource handed out, hoping that people get. The number one resource. Right? It's, the, it's the humanitarian need of, of the centuries of the history of the world. The greatest humanitarian need is that people be reconciled to God. And he's enlisted ambassadors to go and give it out to the world who needs it. A world that is in disarray, a world that is in disaster. God has called us to go out there and be ambassadors for him. So we have a job in God's economy because he's entrusted it to us. Right? He's entrusted us the message of reconciliation. You may uh, be of the Reformed persuasion, and you may get to this point where you say, uh, like many, uh, God's going to go save the people he wants to save. And I would say amen to that, and he's called you to go do it, so go. Okay? <laughs> Which is true. I believe God is sovereign. I believe that God is going to bring people to himself, and I realize the, the motor in which he does that is through the lives of his people. So you better believe that God's going to bring people to himself, and you believe he's going to use people to do that. And that's why we sit here this morning, because somebody did that for you, and we're going to sit here in a year from now, and we're going to have five services in here because you did it for somebody else. 
Because we understand that we have a ministry, we have a, a job. You know, we have a job title. Do you know that? You have a job title in God's economy. As a matter of fact, it says it in verse 20. All right, we have this message, and this is who we are in God's economy. We are ambassadors for Christ. That, that's your word. Like when you go to work and people ask you, what's your job title? You're going to say ambassador. They're going to be like, no, you clean the floors. I'm an ambassador who also cleans floors. Right? Or is it, hey, I'm the CEO of this company over here. No, you're not. You're an ambassador of Christ who is also the CEO of that company over there. You can ask me, well, what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm a pastor of Compass Bible Church. No, you're not. You're an ambassador of Christ, and you happen to be pastor of Compass Bible Church. You see, that is our, our job. You never, even if you're in between jobs right now, the best news for you is you're never out of a job in Christ's economy. You got a job every single day, all right? And if you're a millennial like me, that could be good news or bad news, depending on what you think about working. Okay. We all have a job. But you know, we have a title and the good news for you and for me who need good directions, we have a job description. Right? I mean, it literally gives us our job description. You're an ambassador, God's economy, we all have a job. Here's what your job entails. Verse 20, the, the, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. Here's the job description. God is making his appeal through us. Do you hear that? I mean, this is how God is going about propagating the gospel in the world through us. God's desire is to make his appeal. You know that word appeal? Like he's beseeching people to himself through us. He is imploring people uh, through us. Like he has founded the church. You remember when Jesus said that the church, I'm going to build the church on this rock, this foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what he's talking about. And he's like, and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail over it. Well, that's why we're here 2,000 years later and we celebrate the resurrected Christ because the gates of hell aren't prevailing and God is going to win people. All right. And we got a job to do in that economy. And that is to make God's appeal to the old creation for them to be new in Christ. You know, the best thing in a job, when you go to a job, it's great when they give you all this information, uh, but it's really, really, really good when they give you a goal, isn't it? You're like, I know you want me to do all these things, but what's the end goal? Like, where do you want me to get in a year? Okay, where do you want me to do in this life? Why am I hired here? Well, the good news is that he's also given us a goal. Like, God has given us a goal, all found here in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says this. Here's our goal. We implore you on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. That's our goal. Our singular goal in the world is not to make the most money, right? Not that all my kids grow up to be soccer stars and football stars and basketball stars, but that my children can be reconciled to God because I spent more time investing in their eternity than I did their sports, short sports life. And I've invested more time in my family than I did watching the game this weekend and watching the Masters a couple of weeks ago. Right? I'm spending more time investing in things that are eternal and less on the things that are passing away because I'm an ambassador and I have a goal. And I'll wake up every day and I never wonder what God's will is because I know God's will every day is that people would turn from their sins and trust in Him. And He's given me that job. I mean, that's great. I mean, some of you in here say, I don't think I'm worthy of a job. Well, great. God made you worthy of this job and He's going to use you to do it. Isn't this really good news? This is a good Easter news. Good Easter news this morning. And so that's what we've got to do. And that's why we must do this. And it's your final point. Point number two is you need to urge people to be reconciled to God. You need to urge people to be reconciled to God. I mean, there's, there's two people, there's two groups of people in this world. There are people who need to be reconciled to God. Then there's the people who are who need to be urging other people to be reconciled to God. I mean, that's, that is the whole message of Easter 
Right? And that's why you have the New Testament written. If there was nothing else to be said, the, the New Testament would have ended at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it didn't. It kept going because Christ was going to build his church. Christ wanted to see the nation saved. Christ gave the Holy Spirit so we can go to Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth. Because the gospel didn't stop here. It keeps going. And that's why we've got to urge people to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.11. If you're already there, just look up a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Here's why we need to urge people to be reconciled to God. Paul says it just before he gets to verse 20. He says there in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Right? Knowing the fear of the Lord. Right? The fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of? There we go. All right, All right. I like it. All right. the, fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay. We understand that fearing the Lord is a good thing. As a matter of fact, that's where we start. And what the gospel writers knew, what we know as Christians, is fearing the Lord is the proper place to start. And because we know the fear of the Lord, and because we know the old creation is being passed away, the old creation is going to be, uh, the, the justice of God is going to be poured out on the old creation. And I know that because I fear a holy, perfect, just God who wants to save people. I'm going to now persuade others. Like, I'm going and I'm telling people. And you don't think I do. I have, I have a brother who tells me, I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> And you're going to have family members say, I don't want to hear it anymore. And you know what they're going to do later? They're going to hear it some more, okay? Because I know the fear of the Lord, and they don't. And guess what? I'm going to persuade them. And I love that word persuade, right? It doesn't mean that you go and say, hey, you want to talk about God? No, okay, all right, cool. cool. I'll talk to you next Easter, next Christmas, okay, all right. No, no, I'm going to persuade you. That means I'm going to influence you and try to help you understand that what is new is way better than what is old. And I'm going to persuade you to understand that what God has for those who love him or are called according to his purpose is so much better than these things you can get now and far better than those things you're going to get in eternity. And I'm going to persuade you. I want to implore you. I'm going to beseech you to be reconciled to God. Isn't that, isn't that great? Isn't that, that's your job. That's my job. That's our job as Compass Bible Church. And that's why we're here. That's why we planted this church seven months ago. To get the word of the gospel out to a dying world. Romans 10, one of our last verses, Romans 10, jot it down if you don't mind on your notes, Romans 10, 13 through 15, all this summed up, and we understand this to be true, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you hear that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the promise extended by God, our gracious Father. But here's what it says, but how are they going to call on him whom they have not believed? That's a real good question. How are people going to call on people? How are people going to call on God if they don't know God? That is a fair question, isn't it? And how are they going to believe in God if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't tell them? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't go and preach the message? How are they going to go hear if somebody doesn't tell them the message of reconciliation? And it says this, and how are they going to preach unless they are sent? Well, how, yeah, how are we going to preach? How are we going to plant a church here if we didn't have a sending church that sent us here? Right. How are you going to go if you're not equipped and, and helped to go understand what it means to be reconciled and go tell other people to be reconciled? But as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you see what, what God thinks about people who go and take the responsibilities ambassadors of Christ? He, this is what he says about people. How beautiful are those people? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ? So that's what we can know. What does God think about me? Are you bringing the good news? Well, he thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you're great. You have that mole, and you may be losing your hair, but he tells, he tells, there's one thing he thinks is real beautiful about you, the way that you publish the peace of Christ everywhere you go. We've got to be people 
right, who care enough about people to lead them to Christ. Here's what I want you to do on your notes. I want you to write down one name of someone who needs to hear the message of reconciliation. I want you to take a minute right now. I want you to I want your head down. I'm not seeing a lot of heads down. All right, heads down. I want you to write down one name of someone that you know who has never turned from their sins and trusted in Christ. Now, I, want you, I want you to write down one person who you know is an enemy of God who needs to be reconciled to God. I want you to write their name down. I want you to write it down. First and last name. I don't know. We're not getting you by. You can't say Todd and there's 20 Todds out there. Okay, you need one. We're talking about one Todd. Okay, write one name first and last. You have your name? Okay. I want you to make a plan this week to urge them to be reconciled to God. Make a plan this week to go and urge them to be reconciled to God. Imagine what it would look like if this many people in this room went and urged this many people to be reconciled to God and what God's kingdom would look like next week and what God's kingdom would look like in two weeks and three weeks. And then truly, truly, we'll get into, the, we'll get into eternity. And just like Revelation says, and there was a multitude of people from every tribe, every nation, every language, and every tongue, and I couldn't number them. And they were all worshiping God, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the picture that God is painting in his redemptive plan. And he's saying, join me and we'll paint it together. Join me and we're going to build the church together. Join me and we're going to build God's kingdom together. And really what we've got to do is we've got to love people enough to tell them. You know, we live in a culture, and especially in my generation, if you love people, you're, going to, you're just going to let them do what they want. Right? There's, not a, there's no bigger lie in, in, in our culture than if if you love them, you're going to leave them alone. Right? If you love them, you're going to leave them. It's fine. Let them do whatever they want to do. Well, that's not what the Scripture teaches us to do. It says implore them, beseech them. You need to go and you need to persuade them because you know the fear of the Lord. A couple weeks ago, uh, there were a lot of tornadoes. You remember that? You remember that? Uh, there was a lot of tornadoes, and I was in my house, uh, and Pastor Evan, our associate pastor, one of my closest friends, uh, he's in California at this point. He went on a trip, and he shot me a text, and he said, there's a tornado warning there. And I said, no, there's not. And he said, no, there is. And I'm like, you're not even here. How do you know? <laughs> he's like, because I got an internet. So, uh, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, no, whatever. And uh, sure enough, I look, and I'm like, oh, man, there is a tornado warning. And I'm from Texas. I'm from northeast of Dallas. And uh, we brought a good number of Californians with us. Praise the Lord that so many people decided to uh, leave their life there, come down here and plant a church for the glory of God. Uh, and then part of my job here is to make sure that my Californians don't get so afraid because tornadoes don't exist in California. And so I've been asked the question over and over again, uh, do tornadoes hurt? <laughs> like, like or, or are there going to be, are there tornadoes there? And I'm like, not in New Braunfels, okay? <laughs> Everywhere else, but not here, okay? Actually, not, not in this one spot. And, <laughs> and the point of the matter I mean, is this, this is, you know tornadoes are dangerous, don't you? Right? And you hope that the news anchor on the news at night is telling you the truth about the tornadoes that are coming, right? I mean, what I don't want, it sounds good, but what I don't want is my meteorologist saying, just a small, just a small storm. Not much, there's not much there. Be lucky if you get a drizzle. Okay, and you're like, okay, kids, go play outside, honey. We'll go run errands, and we'll be back, and we'll get all this stuff figured out. And then there's a tornado coming right toward your house. Right? What you want, and if you're going to say, if that news anchor loves me and loves people, they're going to be honest with me. They're going to tell me the danger that is looming that is coming toward my house. And it gives me no solace for you to lie to me, and then I have to approach this deadly tornado coming at me. What's going to give me solace is if you were honest with me and told me the truth about this tornado. So when I see it, I have been prepared for it. 
And what I am saying to you, if you haven't got to the point already, is that we got to tell the truth about God because if you really love people, you're going to want them to be right before God and you don't want them to, to get to, the, to, get to the, the point where they see God and they're like, didn't know this was happening. What is this? Right? We want to be honest with people so that they can be prepared and ready to meet the holy God that we're all going to be face to face with. And so truly, truly, if you love people, you're going to persuade them to follow Christ. You're going to implore them on behalf of God to be reconciled to God. Because we don't have an angry God who desires to see everyone perish. As absolutely, He desires to see no one perish, but all to come to eternal life. And He's made a way for it. He's made a way. For you, uh, for some of you in here, if you want to know these things, and you may say, well, I get it, but I've never been able to articulate it. Uh, I get the gospel, but I don't know how to share it. Well, I want to encourage you to do something. Make sure that you're around people who do. As a matter of fact, make sure you go to a church who articulates the gospel in a way that's understandable. Okay, And then when you find that church, stick to that church. Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a hard time being an ambassador of Christ when you don't spend time with other ambassadors of Christ. And you can't be a good ambassador of Christ if you're only around other ambassadors of Christ twice a year. Right? we got to make sure that we're plugged into God's people, that we are repurposed with the other people that God has repurposed so we can go do this thing together. And so it means more than going to church on Easter. It means more than going to church on Christmas. It means that I am a part of the new creation of God, and that is his church. And then I can go be a part of the repurposed people who go out and, and reconcile the world to God through the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, I want you to know that your primary role is an ambassador. That's it. That's your primary role. Right? All other things are secondary. Uh, your marriage is secondary. Raising your kids is secondary. That's strong, isn't it? Strong, but it ain't wrong, okay? Uh, secondary. And here's why I know this. Because to qualify to be an ambassador of Christ, I have to be in Christ. He's empowered me with the Holy Spirit, and he's given me his word. It also says... Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husband in all things. Children, like we learned in Colossians this other day, you need to obey your parents in all things, for this pleases the Lord. What I know is that when I am an ambassador, I'm also going to have a good marriage. I'm also going to raise up godly children. But I understand that that's secondary, because primary is my responsibility to be an ambassador of Christ to my spouse, to be an ambassador of Christ to my children, to be a, uh, an ambassador of Christ to my co-workers. You see how your entire world changes when the whole picture of the cross comes in view, that I'm not just changed for there, I'm changed to make a change here. And I'm here as an ambassador. I'm here as an ambassador of Christ, imploring you, be reconciled to God. Be his ambassador. I want you to think of some of the most important jobs in the world. Like right now, like if this job was not done properly, the world's over. The world's going to end. I mean, absolutely the most important thing that you could ever do. When I was thinking about this last night, I think of one job in particular. I thought about the person who guards the big red button that sets off all the atomic bombs in the world. Okay? And I thought, man, I hope that person's good at his job. Right? I really hope that person doesn't spill his coffee. Right? I hope that person doesn't sleep on the job, right? I'm really hoping that this person's qualified and ready when he wakes up in the morning to guard that button with his life. Because truly, our lives depend on it. I mean, truly, if he doesn't do his job well, I'm gone. I'm a goner. 
And so I'm hoping this person is prepared and ready and trained and, and really looks forward to get up every day and stare at that button until the next person comes by and has to stare at that button. And I know that if he does his job, we're going to be good. We're going to be good. But, you know, truly, it's not the most important job. Right? The most important job that exists on planet Earth is that ambassadorship of God. Right? That God has desired to see people come to himself. And we need to be trained up and prepared and ready Right, and be good at our job. God's desire is that his church be good at this job because truly people's lives do depend on it. As a matter of fact, every life on planet Earth from beginning to end all depend on this one job. And it's not guarding a button. It's guarding the deposit that's been entrusted to us and that is the message of reconciliation. So this Easter, my prayer for you is that one, that you've responded appropriately by turning from your sins and trusting in Christ. But if you've done that, that you take up the mantle, that you take up the responsibility, the stewardship, the occupation of the ambassador that God has called every Christian to become for the good of people who need Jesus and for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we come to you uh, truly asking that you would both use us and purpose us uh, for the good of people all around us. And we know there are so many good things we can do in this world, but only one great thing that we can do, and that is to be ambassadors for Christ, that you would make your appeal through us to have people be made right with you, to people to have their relationships restored to you. And I pray, even in this service right now, God, there's many people in here who have never turned from their sins and trusted in you. There may be many people who've raised a hand or walked down an aisle or prayed a prayer, uh, but truly, God, uh, they, they've never turned from their sins and trusted in the sacrifice, the substitution of Christ on the cross. And I just pray, God, that if there's anyone in here this morning that needs to make that commitment, that that decision, that response, that proper and appropriate response to the gospel message, God, that they would do so. And God, for all those who have, God, to understand the fullness of, of the message of the cross, not only that we're saved, not only that we're sanctified, not only that we will be glorified, but that right now and right here we're repurposed for greater things, where we purpose to lead people to Christ. So help us take up that mantle and help us think about that today for the rest of our Easter celebration. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.